And you are very welcome along to this week's RTE Rugby Podcast, episode four of the new season. We've got plenty to get through this afternoon. Connacht against Munster is the big game this Friday night. Leinster taking on the Sharks after they beat Ulster at the weekend. And Ulster looking to bounce back there, taking on the Scarlets at Kingspan Stadium on Saturday evening. We're also going to talk a little bit as well about just how to speed up the game because I think this weekend in particular just seemed to jar with so many people and these water breaks that uh, World Rugby have kind of implemented are uh, angering a lot of people I think it's fair to say over uh, over the opening rounds of the URC but delighted to welcome Bernard Jackman as usual onto the RT Rugby podcast. Birch how are you getting on? Yeah good thank you good and also delighted to have Johnny Holland on with us every once in a while. Johnny Head coach of Cork Con now and got a got a, a debut win at the weekend in the in the AIL. Just about yeah, we'll uh, we'll take it. A win's a win, Birch, isn't it? But we'll uh, we'll work on it. Tell me, what's causing sleepless nights more? Is it fatherhood or is it being a head coach in the AIL? Head coach, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we'll get straight into it because Connacht Munster game of the weekend. It certainly looks like anyway. Um. I think we'd all absolutely love it if these two teams were coming into it in flying form, Birch. But I just think the fact that both of these sides are probably off form at the moment, um, that both sides are probably off form at the moment, like it, the stakes are just so high and, it, you know, it probably creates its own little bit of tension. Yeah, absolutely. And if there was relegation in the URC, you'd be saying whoever loses this is going to be, you know, thinking about a trapdoor, certainly if it's top 14 anyway. Um, but no, both teams, both teams are struggling. Um re- Valid reasons why, you know, Munster obviously new coaching regime, um, a short preseason, um, Connacht because effectively they, they had a very hard draw, you know, three away games to start while they got their new pitch um sorted out. Always meant they were unlikely to um, you know, be be unbeaten going into this, but probably it's the nature of the performances that worried them the most. And but in fairness to them, you know, they've always been able to pull out a big emotional performance and I think, you know, a new, new pitch, first home game, hopefully you get a good crowd there. Obviously, Munster coming up the road. Um, we may see we may see better from them. And if if we don't, you have to worry about where they're at, where they're at headspace-wise. Yeah, Johnny, like it just, both teams, when they're coming in like this, it's very, very, I suppose a win is just imperative really for both teams, no matter how you end up going about it. Absolutely. And I think that's that's probably the, the issue with Munster is that, their their game plan hasn't really been developed. Well, sorry, it's been heavily developed in the background, but we haven't seen it um, a massive amount. And you're going to think that they're going to Connacht and they'll try to get their mall, try to to start them off and get them on the front foot, um, which is probably the dangerous part for their overall development because they are going into this game thinking win at all costs. I'd imagine get some points on the board. Um, other than obviously the, the zebra game at the weekend, which was highly frustrating the second half especially. So it's um. I think I'd be worried about the, the way they'd play the game, whereas I think Connacht have the ability to just open up all of a sudden. I think they've played like that for, for the last couple of years. I think they have a lot more consistency. So I think Connacht have the ability to go up to the sports grounds, like Bernard said, you know, an emotional performance. I think both teams can have that emotional performance. Munster could well rock up and all of a sudden it'll click because it will click one week and they're going to destroy someone, but I'm not sure it's going to be in round four, um, especially with Connacht and the emotional side that they have as well. So I, I, I'd, I'd fear for Munster going up the road at the moment um, with Connacht and, and their backlash happening as well, you know. And Bernard, then just like to, to zone in on Munster specifically, and we'll get to, to Connacht then specifically in a few minutes time, but the we were speaking to Mike Prendergast yesterday, for example, and obviously the main question is, you know, when is when are these 
things and attack going to start clicking because there's just so many drop balls week to week. Their players just don't seem to be kind of connected with each other really out in the pitch. And he kind of said they're seeing things on video analysis and they're seeing things in training where they can see the shapes and the patterns are are emerging with the game plan, but it's just getting those final passes to stick. When when you watched Munster, for example, at the weekend against Zebra, did you see did you see a team who were potentially creating a lot of these openings and just failing to execute them? Or are they still struggling to actually create the, the clear-cut opportunities? Yeah, look, I think I would I would believe in Mike, you know, um, that the, they are seeing you know, the, what they're doing the training pitch start to take shape on the, on, on, the match, on a match pitch. But the problem at the moment is it's their basic handling. Um, it's their breakdown work. So when they are creating those little opportunities, they they just haven't been able to execute it, or the ball becomes slow and, and that opportunity is gone. So, um, I, I I think it will. I, I always thought it would take till January. Now I didn't think it would start this slowly, um, but I think it still will be January before everybody is 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 totally okay with what, how they want to play. Um, but they are going to have to just improve their their basic skills and and their breakdown work, which. To be honest, because they played quite a limited game under Van Graan, their skill set wasn't really challenged as much. You know, it was a lot of one out, it was a lot of front doors, a lot of kick and chase. Um, obviously now Prendy's trying to get them to to play the space a little bit more. And just at the moment that maybe the, the skills or 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 the I think it's more around lack of real belief in it um or understanding of how it's gonna work. So that will take time. But I think having match footage is invaluable, you know, and be able to use your video on a Monday morning then to actually show live examples of where opportunities were um, and how they can execute them. I think my understanding is Munster are trying to run a lot of players through at the same time at training um, with over 50 players on the pitch a lot of days. So it's very difficult then to, and they're also trying to train fast. So it's very difficult to coach on the run. Um, so I think those matches will give them invaluable opportunities to 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 learn and perfect it. But um it has been it has been a slow start for sure. And from a coach's side, like how, how kind of difficult is it when you're trying to strike that balance obviously between you have the need to to win and you have the need to be delivering results, but at the same time you're trying to to change a style and you know it's going to take some time. Like it, is it difficult sometimes to kind of convince yourself to to stay at this and not to try and have just kind of make it a little bit more simple yeah like uh, it is you, you definitely question yourself and i think like bernard touched on it there there's very basic errors that are happening at the moment i think like you know malachi fekatoa came into the preseason game he came on in the first one and all of a sudden utah was after hitting the straps and then you know i think there's been like some frustrations with even drop balls and missed tackles and stuff that as a coach you're just kind of going this isn't part of the game plan you know how much like you have to stick with it it's, it's kind of like that classic thing of you know, trying to get more offloads in your game, trying to get in behind the tackle line, trying to upset defences. And if you lose a game, do you just throw offloads out the, out the window? You're not allowed to do it. Like, you don't do that either. So you need to coach the decision-making and kind of stick to your guns on that. But it will be frustrating from a coaching perspective that the decision-making isn't the part that's really letting them down at the moment. And it is basic errors, like Bernard said. It's definitely the breakdown. We've seen plenty of analysis on that. Um, it's just a bit soft at the break than I think at the moment, but which is surprising with Dennis Leamy coming in and his contact skills. Like he, he definitely won't be coaching that way either. Like, you know, so I can imagine, you know, the coaching staff will be becoming more frustrated as the weeks go on. But like I've even been frustrated as someone who's seen maybe the inside of 
of what's going on there at the moment. Like we were lucky enough as a coaching group, as AIL coaches, to get to a training session, see what they're trying to do in a video, uh, go to the training pitch and see what they're what they're doing as well. And Bernard's writing that they're they're training really fast. His coaching on the run is actually so impressive. There's so much going on. It's all very coordinated. But um, and in the preseason, I, I covered both both games. So I was able to watch them over Musgrave Park, and you could see definitely the shape coming into play. Um, it's a preseason game, though, you know, so it's going to be a bit faster and looser, and they'll be able to get their their shapes in uh, in, in in kind of play on the on the pitch a little bit easier. But I did find that you know Jack Crowley took to that a little bit easier than what Ben Healy did. I I, I think um, Ben is struggling a little bit more with the running game that they're going to play. I think he's a he's a great technical out half. He's very good at uh, at kicking and, and organizing things. But when you get that ball at the back of a forward pod and try and re-engage for the second forward pod in the middle of the pitch, I think Jack was starting to turn that corner a little bit better. Um, and obviously he's away now as well. So um, you would think that Joey Carberry would kind of fill those those roles fairly easily as well, having come from the Irish setup where they're doing something very similar. So I think there's just a little bit of a disconnect uh, in the middle of the pitch there, but also it doesn't help if you're not going on the front foot from Ben's perspective. If if the breakdown is slow, if the ball becomes slower, then it's not very easy to get that in in, in play either. But like three games in and you would have thought they'd open up on a on a 4G pitch against Zebra in the second half after going 21-0. So... That's where the frustrations are with the with the basic errors that you can't account for, you know. Yeah, and like Graham Roundtree after the match on Saturday when we were speaking to him, he kind of he was asked was twenty one nil at halftime against a zebra team who were struggling. They had lost their two starting centres throughout the first half to injury as well. Like he kind of he admitted essentially it was to, to use the words like it was an open goal that they should have gone and and taken that bonus point. And that brings us to Johnny. You one of the things you wanted to talk about as well was the the second half performances and the the second half scoring specifically for Munster across the season so far because we've we've two scoreless second halves in a row now and then you have that you know the opening game against Cardiff where it's just one try in comparison to to the other other provinces their their scoring patterns really haven't been particularly good. No, I think that's it's a huge frustration that like, you know, I think the zebra one was was obvious, like twenty-one nil at half time and you go in and don't score, uh, you're trying the second half. That like that that's a one in a season kind of a performance in the second half. But having done it before against uh, I, I suppose a more fired up Dragons team and so a, a team that had again another emotional attachment to that performance as well over in Rodney Parade, you know, it's not as surprising, but like the fact that they did it two weeks in a row with poor performances in the second half. That's something that was playing in your mind as well. Like you, you know, I was involved in a good bit of GA, and like the the third quarter was always seen as the championship quarter, and they'd be looking at kind of running meters and work grade and all that kind of stuff in the second half. Now it wasn't from a scoring perspective, but if you look at those stats of Munster's third quarter, it's pretty poor, you know. So just as they come out after half time, they're not really getting that cohesion again, um, and that's when you're really looking to kick on. Obviously, you'll, you'll finish the game in the fourth quarter, but like the third quarter will show you where you're going to go and how. How easy those last 10-15 minutes would have been against a Zebra team who I actually thought were going to be a lot more competitive than that. Um, and they weren't. But then in the second half, they really frustrated Munster. So um it's another intangible. How like what are you supposed to say? It doesn't just happen in the third quarter by by chance, but it's also coincidental that you know they just weren't able to get their score. So maybe we don't speak about it after another game where they do score in the second half, but it just seems to be a small bit of a pattern early on in the season that you know would be worrying if it if it continues. And Bert, final monster question before I switch over onto onto Connacht. Any positives you can pick out of the, these opening three games, whether it's from personnel, whether it's from things they're doing on the pitch in terms of their their style of play? Anything that kind of springs to mind that you've seen so far? 
Um, Peter Manny's defensive line out. But we knew that was, we knew that was uh, pretty strong. Look at them. Hey, look, any anytime you steal whatever thirty line out in the opening <laughs> half of a match, that, that is a decent one. Yeah, Not exactly. You have to wonder what the zebra forwards coach was, what kind of message he was saying on, sending on, like keep keep throwing in Peter Manny's zone. You know what I mean? Just avoid him. Um, look at I think a couple of young lads have got opportunities. Um, obviously, I think the problem for the other provinces is um, with with this tour to South Africa. Them losing an equal percentage of players to Leinster has hurt everybody else more than it has hurt Leinster. You know, Leinster have been able to to bring back Henshaw, Sexton, etc. Um, and you know, Munster I think have ten players down in um, in South Africa. Who I think, to be honest, if they, if if they were there, they probably would have beaten the Dragons, and this wouldn't be as a focused, you know, a crisis talk about Munster. But um, the level below them, you know, Edwin and Rudan, I think. Have have looked have looked really strong and and that's that's promising. You know there 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 is good talent in Munster. They and I think the the success or failure of this coaching group is is to bring them through. Is to is to bring through the next generation um, and give them the the training environment and the mindset to you know to get back to the top. Yeah, and it was interesting to see Graham Rowntree say he's kind of trying to force through a lot of that talent. Uh, over the next year or so as well. So it m- we might be seeing a little bit more Ruan Quinn and Edwin Adogba and Patrick Campbell and, and Connor Phillips as well. On Connacht, Birch, it was something you mentioned there a little bit earlier on regarding Munster, and it's probably one of the opportunities for Connacht this weekend. And Munster's attacking breakdown has been a big issue across the first three games. And if you think back across last season and the work that someone like Connor Oliver was doing for for Connacht on a weekly basis, like that is his bread and butter, just taking advantage of, of isolated runners. Is that, a, is that one area of opportunity that Connacht can kind of look to exploit? Yeah, absolutely. I also think from a defensive point of view, Munster haven't looked um, rock solid either. And, and like the reason Connacht have been able to, I suppose, win games hasn't been around their defence, even though I agree with your defensive breakdown work individually has been really strong. It's been their attack and, and, um, against Ulster, against Stormers, uh, a little bit against the Stormers, but against the Bulls, it hasn't really been free flowing. And, and I think, you know, Jack Carty, if he was available this weekend, could be a key for, for Connor to get that attacking game going. Um, he is he's absolutely massive to them as a leader now. Uh, I think he's the he's the real leader. Obviously, Bundy being out, um, He's a huge influence there, but also on the field. And and I think if Connor could find their straps from an attacking point of view, and look at, you know, they're they're going to talk up this four G pitch. They're going to talk up how, you know, they push for it because it suits the, um, the kind of kamikaze free flowing game that they want to play. Andy Friend has always been about that finding, you know, their edge or finding their point of difference. Um, so maybe that's going to help them. You know, the fact that Munster haven't been really effective at the defensive breakdown. Um, they should have quick ball, and maybe then you know they're they're going to get back into their into their flow. It's just I wonder where their confidence is at as well. Um, even though the Bulls game, to be fair, it wasn't um, it it wasn't as bad as maybe it could have been. You know, at altitude against a team like the Bulls with that power. Twenty yeah, twenty minutes in, twenty minutes in, that looked like it was going to be potentially a really really brutal day. Yeah, and they stuck in there, and and they didn't they didn't cave physically, which which I was worried about. So. You know, I, I think they'll come back from South Africa, okay, disappointed obviously, but the the last performance against the Bulls wasn't too bad, um, and some and some some moments against the Stormers they stretched their defence, and that's quite aggressive defence. So yeah, that's that's the key for Connacht is to 
is to find their attacking straps. And, and I think all the focus this week has been on Munster's attack. Um, but I think, you know, um, Andy Friend and Pete Wilkins and Mossy Lawler will have seen opportunities in Munster's defence to attack as well. You mentioned Jack Carty, Birch, as well. Like, is this, is it almost a little bit worrying how dependent they are on him? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, it's, there's a big gap. Uh, Hawkshaw's come in. You can't, you can't expect Hawkshaw to come in and um, do the job Carty has. But I certainly know I was down there last year um, chatting to the players and squad. And, and Carty, Carty is, is, is effectively, as I said, they're, they're, he's obviously you know, the captain with, with Butler, but uh, our shared captaincy with Butler last year. But um, I think he's the driving force behind it. And I, I think that the fact that he's not with Ireland anymore so he hasn't been with Ireland as much lately. Um, will you know means he's very much there, you know, 48 weeks of the year and um is a key man for the coaches in terms of getting their message across. Johnny, with the the way the monster defense has just kind of been a little bit leaky over, over the first few games. Well, it was just not not too reliable over the first few games. Would you would you be worried about what Connor can do if they can get the ball moving on that on that fast pitch? I'd definitely be worried. It, it doesn't mean it's going to play out that way, but I would be worried. And if I was once there, like you know, the yeah, potential if I was going up there, I'd know what Connacht could do. And I think there's a pressure on Connacht as well. Like Berners kind of mentioned that you know the 4G is going to suit them, and they're going to play that fast attacking game. If they do play that fast attacking game with the back three that they have and some of the lines that they can run, um, you know, I, I know Bundy is going to be a a big loss in the middle of the pitch because he adds that different kind of dynamic to the middle of the pitch, which give which gives space on the edges or gives space to fellas running off him. But um, you know they're they're going to have to play a fast game on that pitch. Now Munster have had a week in uh, preparation in advance of Zebra on the same type of pitch, so like that might suit them as well. And Connick probably haven't been on it. Uh, will get on it this week at some stage. So, um, but yeah, I, I'd have a I'd have a bit of concern over uh, over the Munster defensive structures with the way Connick can play. And like it is, I think Connacht are one of those teams that know they're not going to overpower teams, so they know they have to play a little bit faster. They know they have to be a bit clever with their running lines, and that's why they're so good at it. You know, we've seen very, very good rugby from Connacht. It's just like they'll make it a high-scoring game. So whether Munster can score that many points, I think you know the the Munster attacking breakdown. Maybe they're asking them to make more decisions, so it's not exactly straightforward who's going to get the ball and who they're clearing after when they get to deck. So there's a bit more decision making in there. That's the kind of stuff that you know, as a coach, you'd be saying we are asking you to make more decisions. It will start coming. You just need to react a bit better. Reactions they maybe didn't have to have uh, in previous kind of game plans. But at the same time, they've got pods of three in the middle of the pitch. The pods of three are there to just clear that rook, like resource that rook. If the guy in your pod gets the ball, two fellas come in straight away and clear it. So like in one sense, I can understand it because there's more decision making in there. In another sense, you shouldn't be that far away from him either, uh, depending on who gets the ball. But yeah, from a from a defensive uh, situation, it, I wouldn't think it changed a massive mood burner um, in terms of what they're trying to do. You know, maybe some slight differences. I don't think the, the structure has changed a massive amount. So I'm surprised that you know there have been one-on-one tackles. Even if you look at the Dragons try that put them ahead to win the game, really, it was Peter Romani and and Malachi Fekito. He just ran through the middle of the two of them. Maybe someone didn't go low and someone didn't go high, and you're in fear of coming around the the, the other side of them and clashing with each other. But it was just a basic tackle, wasn't it? So it's not really a structure thing, I don't think. I just don't know why they're, they're falling off tackles and missing some of it. It's a funny one. Yeah, I, look, I, I don't think there's a huge amount of change, but like I'm thinking back to the Cardiff game, you know, just some of the, the set-piece organisation. Um, they just, yeah, for the, for the last try in particular, just too narrow. Like just little small little things that 
you would imagine, you know, round six, round seven, round eight, he'll be just locked in. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, like the Peter Manny Fekatawa miss for Rio Dyer, that's not really a system error, but whatever's what, for whatever reason, they just look like they're not fully in tune at the moment. And, and look, that's Peter Manny's first game, etc. So there's all yeah. kinds of different excuses. Uh, but I do think, you know, as I said, Connacht will will have to um, be brave and, and 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 go after them because if they try and play that pressure game, I think that that still suits Munster. Gun to your heads, what way are you going to call it on Friday night, Johnny? Let's start with you. You're supposed to start with Bernard. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, my 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 heart would really say Munster will pull this out, but I my head is question that a lot. I think Connacht need a win at home. Um, so Connacht are going to edge it and frustrate Munster a small bit more, I think. Bernard? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't. I think Munster, even if they don't evolve their attacking game, I think that Maul, that Maul strength is could be enough on, um, on Friday night. Um, Connacht still look vulnerable there, so I think Munster to win a, a tight one. Either way, I, I'm getting the feeling both of you are, are sensing a tight one. And yeah. sitting on the fence, yeah. <laughs> All right, before we move on to talking about Leinster and talking about, about Ulster, I do want to talk about uh, the speed of the game, particularly because I, I do think it was the, it was the Munster Zebra game on Saturday in particular that has just set off an enormous amount of people. Um, I know Connacht had an incredibly long match as well in Pretoria against the Bulls. It was over the two-hour mark. I think seven of the eight matches in the URC this weekend were either over or flirting with the two-hour mark, but in the Monster Zebra one in particular, I can't remember exactly how long it took in the end. 57 minutes was the 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 mark I had the first half at. I was down in Musgrave Park, and I have to say, Johnny, it was absolutely torturous because I think it's a given. Look, every game isn't going to be a fantastic game of rugby. You're going to have some, some poor matches. We just have to accept that. But when a poor match is just being added to by laborious refereeing by long TMO stoppages by these water breaks, which have been brought in just to, in theory to, to speed up the game, it seems, but it is just completely taken away and to stop, you know, extra runners coming onto the pitch, delivering messages and giving out tactical instructions, but it has just sapped the absolute life out of some matches. Yeah. I can't understand the water break one. Like that was a, when we were going through the law changes with the referees at the start of the season, I was kind of going, like, is this all about Razzy? Like, I mean, essentially it is. Yeah. Like, I mean, it really is all about Razzy. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Like, I think you can have a law about directors of rugby and all different names under that guys that you can get him off the pitch and get head coaches, directors of rugby, director of coaching, whatever you want to call it. He can't call himself anything to get on the pitch. I think you can do that. But water breaks like I can see sometimes they're they're cleverly used there's someone down injured and it's like right bring on the water but like we're bringing on the water at that time anyway um but people, like, people have been doing that for 40 years anyway you know yeah, send a prop down onto his knee to take 30 seconds I mean that's that sort of stuff will happen anyway yeah and there was actually people making comments at various stages uh to me being like you know what's the story of the water break here is it that hot and I was like it's nothing to do with the heat it's yeah. just some something they've brought in to try and what like what's wrong with bringing messages onto the onto the pitch? I don't understand it. Like if a coach is really you know using the remote control and and controlling them that much, then they're not going to be a great team anyway. But like running messages onto the pitch with water, I don't think it got out of hand. So I, I'm I'm kind of 
um, confused by it as well. I, like I'm a nutritionist by trade, so I think like bringing water onto the pitch, I'm never going to give out about it. Getting some carb drinks on there, stuff like that. But like, it just it wasn't broken. I think <laughs> whatever happened at Razzie needed to be fixed. Um, but the, the water breaks, I just I just find baffling. And then I suppose the the TMO has been something that's been going on for a while. Like that, some referees are just afraid their life to call something. I think was it Andy Brace in one of the in the Australia New Zealand game there was something held up over the line, and he said absolutely not held up goal line dropout and players were nearly looking at him going surely you're going to check this and he was like no play on like get on with it and it was brilliant you know now you want to have it right and you wouldn't want to have a tight call with that but like when the referees are they stick to their guns that's what happened I saw it with my own eyes you know get on with it it's it's great for the game but you do want the cause to be right but like you can't have them so right that the game is just a 57 minute first half like that's people like teams are going to try and speed up the game uh, some teams need to speed up the game. If you speak with Connacht like that, they'll want to get less stoppages, more ball in, in play. I think Andy Friend had said that, that it's so little ball in play. Um, they don't need more stoppages. Like They want to run teams and get them on, like tired and uh, bigger packs. They want to run them around. So this isn't going to help them at all. Like. Yeah, and Birch, like we had, just to go back to that Munster game at the weekend, in that first half, look, for a start, Zebra had a handful of injuries. And obviously those things are going to require stoppages. And you have to stop the clock twice as well for TMO checks on tries. But it's even the small things around it. Like I remember, I distinctly remember for the second Munster uh, TMO check, the Jack O'Donoghue try that was eventually ruled out. So AJ Jacobs, the referee, he stops the clock. And yeah, after the try is scored initially, and he's chatting back and forth over his earpiece to his TMO while he's standing under the post. This goes on for about a minute or so until he's told, okay, now you can go and actually give an official TMO referral. And at this point, he realizes the big screen in Musgrave Park is down at the other end of the pitch. So he walks from the try line to the halfway line so he can get a better look at it. That's taking, like, literally just the walk itself is taking another 30 or 40 seconds for him to get up there before he's even actually looking at the video and making a proper call on it. And then the yeah. call itself takes another two minutes. I mean, it's just the little things. I was standing there going, will you just jog, for goodness sake, and help us all out here? Yeah, look, at I, I, I think that that was, that was as bad as I've seen that game. Um, so some, sometimes the contest itself and the quality of, of a play, you know, um, papers over the, the obvious distractions of TMO and the length of time that takes. Um, but I, I would be massively in favour. In fairness, at the moment, the referees and TMOs are just sticking through the protocol. So um, the TMO doesn't have the right to, mm. you know, um, enforce his decision. But I think World Rugby are going to have to look at it. Look at with the financial issues in the game, um, with a struggling to, you know, bring down the age profile of, of fans. Um, they're going to have to... They've looked at the laws in terms of, you know, things like 50-22, et cetera, to try and create more space. But I actually think the biggest hurdle to, to making the game better as a spectacle now is is how we officiate it, you know, and things like the water break is part of that. Um, but obviously the, the, the protocols around the TMO, I would be very much um, in favour of the TMO being able to give a, a decision to the referee once he's once it's clear cut, you know, Um that's, that's a long way away. Yeah, yeah, there's a long way to go on it. Um, and hopefully it doesn't take too long because, <laughs> geez, we don't have too much time and hopefully this weekend's matches can can speed up a little bit. But um, just moving on to other games, like Leinster and Ulster from last week, it was um, it was a really interesting one. Obviously, the rain 
didn't really lend itself to a good quality game. But I think what it lacked for Johnny in just the kind of skills and maybe expansive rugby, it actually more than made up for in just like full the full blooded derby experience because it was there was a brilliant intensity to it in spite of maybe the the conditions obviously did kind of taking away from the the showpiece. Yeah, it was a brilliant intensity and um, great intent from both teams as well. But the rain, you saw at one stage, I think Luke McGrath was walking across the camera and the rain was just thick. And you get a real kind of sense of what it was like because I think too often you're watching on TV and like when the camera pans out, you actually can't see the rain at all and you're wondering why the players aren't as good as what you think they are. And then you realise how wet it actually was. I think when you see Leinster parking up and just kicking the ball around even their own 10-metre line and Luke McGrath is kicking it into the backfield of, of Ulster putting the ball in the air, it tells you how how bad it was. Now, I think people have a, the wrong perception around Leinster anyway. They do kick the ball, but they're actually potent, obviously, in attack as well. So when they're kicking away such good ball, you realise how, how bad it was. But I think that that's where the Ulster started really well and they just didn't convert their chances. Like I spoke a lot about the entries and um, and Gary Ringrose was, was interviewed afterwards about giving Ulster entries to get back in the game. But I think they just... Um, they gave away too much to Leinster in a way that they weren't going to put themselves in the position to to win the game. Funnily enough, they they, don't, they ended up putting themselves in the position to have a go off it. But um, you know, there were just too many drop balls in the back backfield. I know the weather was poor, but like I think on, on both sides, I've probably been a bit um, kind of you know Jordan Armour. I think just doesn't deal with the ball well in the air, and I think he was struggling with one or two again from from Ulster's perspective. Um, I think the, the Ulster back three didn't deal with the ball in the air at all. And that gave Leinster a lot of entries into their 22 or at least kept them away from their own goal. So Leinster couldn't, or so Ulster couldn't really have their comeback. But yeah, like the, I was really looking forward to it because the two teams were were strong. I think they were, it was a good opportunity for Ulster to go three in a row um, and kick this season on a small bit more um, and, and put Leinster under a small bit of pressure. So, you know, I was, I was probably frustrated with them that there was one opportunity in the first half where they were in the 22. And I think if they scored, it was a real game. And they were going to put Leinster under a lot of pressure. They didn't. And that's the difference between the two teams, really, because Leinster tend to convert and come away with scores. Yeah, Leinster taking on the, the Sharks this Saturday. The Sharks minus their Springbok contingent. I think a lot of us were hoping maybe to see Ivan Exabeth making his debut over in Dublin, but that's not going to be happening. And Ulster at home against the Ospreys on Saturday evening as well. Um, Birch, quickly on, on Leinster, Jason Jenkins, are there a lot of a lot of Leinster fans eating their words over the last few weeks with the the way Jason Jenkins has started life at Leinster. Um, yeah, I, 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 I didn't. I, I thought it was more Munster fans annoyed. Uh, usually, I'd sign for Leinster, but uh, no, no, I'm t- I'm talking about the the Leinster fans who were maybe calling him a bit of a flop last season. All right, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> look at in fairness. Uh, if they if they were, they definitely beaten their words. He's been yeah. exactly what it says in the tin. Um, he's been exactly what Leinster needed. Um, and look, it's a small. Small sample size and there's bigger challenges to come. But I think Ulster, in fairness, Ulster is a good test. Um, of you know if you can be dominant physically against Ulster, you know that's a that's a good sign. And, and he just gives Leinster that set piece, um, power that maybe they they were lacking, particularly for when you think about them losing to La Rochelle, losing to Saracens. Um. You know, they just didn't have that ability to change it up a little bit. And he's scrummaging. He's built a lovely relationship with Michael uh, Alatoa. I thought Alatoa last year, you know, was a bit iffy as a scrummager. Obviously, his second season in the URC, having adapted from Super Rugby, um, he, he looks better. But uh, I thought the other night with Ryan Baird and, and Jenkins behind him, um, you know, he looked like Tiger Furlong. Um, 
and was was very dominant, great position. And Jenkins started to make some, he made some good hits around the fringes, got a couple of turnovers, but mainly it's his ability in the line out mall, which is you have to kind of go back through it, you know, forensically to see. But the, the malls at Leinster had him as that, I suppose, first block on the on the on the open side wedge. That's where they got dominance. Um, and with the malls where he was catcher. You know, uh, and wasn't able to really bring that power uh, warrant as 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 strong. And and one guy can make a huge difference. I know from coach Paul Willemse in Grenoble before he sold him to Montpellier, he was very similar. He was very similar. I mean, you basically created your whole lineup drive strategy around where he could fill that spot, um, either blindside or open side, where you wanted to to target the the weakness, and you had a much better chance of of, of being successful if if he was in that slot as such. And Jenkins looked like looks like he's that profile for, for Leinster. It's going to be really interesting because obviously Ross Maloney's playing great stuff. You know, J, um, James Ryan is, is back. Ryan Baird's now being able to play six. Just how they rotate those those four in particular um, is going to be is going to be fascinating. But I think Jenkins is at the moment is nailed on for match day 23 for a big must-win URC or, or uh, Champions Cup game. Yeah, it's starting to look like that. Very quickly on um, a one word on Ulster as well, Johnny. Um it was something I forgot to mention it to you beforehand. I know I emailed email out the list of topics we're going to hit, but um, the talk of John Cooney potentially switching international allegiance and going playing for Scotland. Um, obviously, I'm sure a lot of people would have thought he probably should have got way more of a look in in recent years for Ireland. But I think from the outside, it's probably a move that makes a lot of sense for someone um for someone like John Cooney. Yeah, it does. It's something that I'm, I was actually thinking about the other day when the headlines were written. I was kind of like, how would I feel about that if I was in his position? Um, I'm not anywhere near his position, but you're tr- trying to think about how you'd feel about it. Obviously, he's got a lot more allegiance to Scotland than what I would have, but I would find that a, a, a tough swap. You know, I know, I know other players have done it, um, and it is a thing that is absolutely um, allowed according to the laws, but um, he deserves to play international rugby, I think, is the first thing. But swapping allegiances from someone like Ireland to Scotland, I, I would find very tough. Um, having committed to being Irish and then going away and being Scottish, I would find that tough. But in terms of the rugby side of it, I think he's full value for it. Um, very good player, unbelievable goal kicker. Um, if, if you kind of follow him at any at, 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 on anything in social media, you'd know he's absolutely zoned in on the whole thing. Like he's he just looks like he, he lives and breathes it. Like you know, so I think he's full value for international caps. Um, probably should have been a lot more than an Irish jersey, but if he wants to go and change allegiances to Scotland, I think he's more than entitled to do that, you know. Yeah, yeah, and no, it's going to be interesting to see, and I think it's interesting as well that it's Dan McFarland, who's his head coach, but who would obviously have quite a strong relationship with uh, Gregor Townsend. But um, that's pretty much where we're going to leave it this uh, this week, guys, on the RT Rugby Podcast. Women's Rugby World Cup starting this weekend, actually. I know we haven't had too much chance to to chat about it. I, I think, Birch, is probably just the fact that Ireland aren't in it the kickoff times are, are pretty brutal for an audience this side of the world. It's kind of, it's going under the radar really in Ireland. Uh, it seems on the face of it anyway, that it's getting quite a lot of good attention down in New Zealand, which is really, really promising to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think to be honest, I, I've been getting most, most of it through social media, mm-hmm. England released a, a, do, a documentary. Um, and I think as, as, it gets through the group stages and the, and the quality rises to the top. I think we it'll be a lot more um, visible over here um, because certainly some very good teams in it. And I think it's really important that it does catch them. Like, cause obviously we've lost out on us and um, we lost out an opportunity to grow the game, but hopefully 
Um, it does pick up some good media coverage here, and and the youngsters, you know, uh, who are maybe thinking about playing rugby, see that as a as an opportunity for them down the road. Yeah, and we'll have daily coverage anyway of it on rt.ie. We're going to leave it there for today, guys, on the RT, RT Rugby Podcast. Spurch, good luck on the road to, to Ross Gray with Prez yeah. Bray today. Johnny, best of luck on your, your trip to Lakelands with uh, Cork Con at the weekend. But hopefully it's not too good of a day. I don't want to wish that much luck to you. As you know, I'm I'm playing a little bit in Terranure these days. So I wish you a little oh, bit of luck. Enjoy the, enjoy, too much. enjoy the trip up, but don't enjoy the trip back home. <laughs> guys, thanks a million. All the best. Bye-bye. Thanks.